word uh, truthfully, uh, boldly, and most of all, point your people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. My favorite uh, channel uh, is the American Heroes channel, closely followed by the military channel. I love war documentaries. I love war movies. And as it happens from time to time in a war movie, people are going to find themselves in the, the middle of a minefield very unexpectedly. They walk gently with great caution. Well, this passage is filled with many landmines. This entire passage is a landmine field or a minefield. Uh, verse 11 has two landmines in it. So, let a woman learn quietly, it says. And then it continues on with all submissiveness. Verse 12 has three landmines. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Those are two. The third is, rather, she is to remain quiet. Verse 13 is not really a landmine. It's more of a firecracker or a snap and pop, if you will. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Verse 14 is one big landmine. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And verse 15, well, it's, it's intended by Paul to be an encouragement, but to many years it also is a landmine. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, being that this is a minefield, we are going to step carefully this morning as we move through this passage because I want to make sure that I step on every one of those landmines. I want to jump up and down on them. You heard me right. My plan this morning is to jump on these landmines. Although our culture is trying to shame and pressure us into thinking otherwise, this passage is God's good, holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Each so-called landmine will explode with blessings because each landmine is filled with God's grace and his wisdom. Paul is telling the uh, Ephesian Christians how to live in the household of faith. 1 Timothy 3.15 And so here he is instructing the ladies how they are to live uh, in the household of faith. He goes on, he gives more specific instructions later on in chapter 5 and whatnot. But uh, this is his instruction for us this morning, verses 11 through 15. Time is a, is a premium this morning, so let's jump right into the first landmine. This is a no-frill sermon. My intention is simply to explain the passage verse by verse and then make straightforward applications. I wanted to shorten this passage, and uh, I was not able to do it. I shortened it greatly, but it's still longer than normal. 
Um, so, I'm going to pretend I'm a Yankee and talk real fast. In verse 11, Paul says, Let a woman learn. In ancient Roman and Jewish culture, women were not permitted to learn. Women were considered to be second-class citizens. They were considered to be intellectually inferior. Why send a woman to school? Uh, Many believe that women were not even designed to learn in the ancient uh, culture, ancient Roman culture, ancient Jewish culture. So we find quotes like this in the Jewish Talmud. It says, It would be better for the words of a Torah to be burned then they, they should be entrusted to a woman. <laughs> or in another place, the Talmud says, um, the men came to learn, the women came to hear. So, not uh, a very uplifting view of women in the ancient uh, cultures. And so it's against this cultural trend that Christianity stepped in to oppose this kind of stinking thinking. Christianity affirmed the equality of men and women. Uh, We made reference to Genesis chapter 1 and and 2 last week. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, Paul wrote, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there there is no male or female, or male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You can easily see the dignity and and equality of women in the church in the way that they treated women in the church. The way that that Jesus treated Martha and Mary is a great example. And so from uh, Luke chapter 10, I think it is. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Tell her then to help me. But But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. She chose to sit at the Lord's feet. She, ter- she chose to, to learn from the Lord Jesus himself. And so Paul said, let a woman learn because he saw our Lord Jesus encouraged women to learn. Paul also treated women with equal uh, dignity and respect. Just listen to the affection and the love and the appreciation roll off his tongue in Romans 16 as he mentions his thankfulness for his many co-laborers in his missionary endeavors. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Crentia, uh, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. Remember Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife team, that were so helpful to Barnabas. They were so helpful to Paul. He says, they risked their their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. 
Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Philogius, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Hardly the words of a man who wanted to keep women in their so-called place. There are numerous other examples that we could point to in the New Testament, but the time is short. If a woman must learn, as he says here in verse 11, then how should she do it? Well, again, look with me at, at verse 11. She must learn quietly and in all submissiveness. The word quietly is translated in quietness in the NIV. I prefer the NIV uh, rendering uh, for two reasons. First of all, it's a very literal uh, rendering here in this uh, particular passage. Uh, secondly, it captures the sense better of what Paul is saying here. The word uh, translated in our e- uh, ESV or English Standard Version, quietly, um, does not mean that women should keep their mouths shut while in worship. Uh, rather, this phrase, in quietness, as the NIV has it, refers to a gentle demeanor. Uh, If you were to look up at the beginning of this chapter, back to verse 2, Paul is talking about, um, he is urging the church to pray. He wants uh, prayers to be made for all people. In verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This word for quiet, used in quiet life, is the same exact word used in verse 11. And so, as Christians, are we supposed to live silent lives and keep our mouths shut? Are we never to proclaim the gospel because we are to keep silent? No, of course not. What he is telling us to do here is to lead peaceful dignified lives. That's the sense of what he's saying in quietness. Be dignified in the way you lead your life. In the way you speak to others. Don't be mean. Don't be brash. Open your mouth. Speak with love. With a gentle demeanor. So far from keeping silent, Paul exhorts women to pray publicly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 5, he says, Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now try and ignore the issues of prophesying and head coverings for the moment, simply to focus on the fact that Paul expects that women would pray publicly. And so that's the opposite of keeping silent. You know, we have times for public prayer and thanksgiving. I don't know if the ladies have noticed. I don't know if the congregations have noticed. But I have always encouraged the women to pray. Sometimes on Wednesday evenings, uh, if there's a health concern that's been made known earlier in the day or, or uh, some concern for Jimbo's uh, evangelism or, or things like that, I always encourage the ladies to pray. When we have a day of prayer for the persecuted church on Sunday evening when we gather to pray, I encourage the ladies to pray. During our annual Thanksgiving feast, uh, for example, I encourage the ladies to pray. 
it appears to me, if I may be frank, that our ladies are reticent to pray. And so I want to encourage you, don't be reticent. Don't, don't hold back from praying when we gather together to pray as a congregation. It's an encouragement for the whole congregation to hear all the saints lift up their hearts to God in prayer. Paul also says that women are to learn in all submissiveness. Submissiveness to who? Well, to the leadership and authority that God has given to the elders of the church. Philip Ryken says that women are to receive the teaching of the elders in a spirit of cheerful agreement. This passage is not saying that women are to be full in, to, in full submission to all the men of the church. The Bible says that women are to be full, in full submission to their husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, and to their husbands alone, and they are to receive the teaching of the elders of the church with all submissiveness. What if the elders of the church started teaching heresy or error? Are the ladies to be in full submission to that? No, of course not. They are to be like the Bereans and check our teaching according to the Scripture. In our Sunday school, do we have a policy that women cannot speak up or ask questions? Of course we do not have such a policy. When I'm teaching, I'm glad that the ladies feel comfortable enough to ask questions or even uh, present a competing view. That's part of the learning process. If we said you couldn't think for yourselves or ask questions... Well, we'd be stifling you in your learning, frankly. Um, no learning can take place without a gentle demeanor and a willingness to receive what is being taught. Ladies, make no mistake. The Bible calls you to, to submit to the teaching of the leadership of the church. You are to t uh, submit to my teaching as the pastor. You are to submit to the teaching... Uh, and leadership of the elders of the church. But you should also expect that our leadership, uh, the elders of the church, myself as a teaching elder, um, would meet with the qualifications of elders that are outlined in the next chapter. So if you look down in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, Paul says, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not, not a drunkard, nor, nor violent, I'm sorry, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and we could continue on. The goal of our teaching, uh, our teaching ministry here at Westminster Presbyterian Church is to build you up in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether you are men, women, children. That is our goal. Far from, from being domineering uh, tyrants, the elders are called to be gentle servant leaders. God has established leadership structure in the church and in the home. I'm the pastor of the church, but I'm also within the leadership structure of this church. I am called to submit to the leadership of the elders. 
It's not an affront to my dignity when I submit to the elders. It is for my good. It is also for the good of the church when I do so. And the elders also submit to my leadership. What I'm saying is, don't let the world's values that are rooted in self-absorption allow us to throw overboard God's ordained authority structures. As I stated last week, Jesus joyfully submitted to his Father's will, even when it was difficult. Not my will, but your will, Jesus said. That did not in any way um, harm or demean his dignity. In fact, as I know what he was doing for me, in my eyes, it enhances his dignity that he would submit to the Father's will, that he would submit himself to the cross for my sake. Our Lord Jesus did not come here to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. All right, so women are to learn, verse 11. But moving on into verse 12, women are not permitted to teach or to exercise authority over a man. The teaching that women are not permitted to do involves exercising authority over a man within the context of the life of a church. This is a very clear passage that says only males are permitted to be elders in the church. First <coughs> um, Timothy 3 verse 2, I just read it. Uh, an, oversee, an overseer should be able to teach, and Paul is not permitting women to teach or have authority over men. Uh, So they are not permitted to teach or have authority over men or be ordained into the gospel ministry. This is God's ordained authority structure. The question is often asked with good reason. Well, then what can women do in the church? Often around our denomination, you'll hear the answer, well, a woman can do anything an unordained man can do. That's typically the answer I hear around our denomination. I think that that answer is lacking. Uh, We have unordained men uh, who read the Scripture before I preach as one example. Uh, We want to promote the culture of male leadership here in the church. There's a clear authority structure that God has ordained. So we must then promote that structure. It's a good structure. It's a godly structure. It encourages that authority structure in the home for us to also promote it in the church. But we promote that authority scripture in the home and in the church because God's word clearly says so. To simply state that a woman can do anything in the church that an un- and that an unordained man can do is thoughtlessly and unbiblically egalitarian. So then, what can a woman do? Well, let me approach it from the standpoint of our congregation, our own congregation, because obviously there's more possibilities to, what, uh, to, to how a woman can serve the church than I'm able to list in any kind of general way. The ladies in our church are absolutely essential 
to our church family. The, the women's ministry is not an isolated ministry that we have started to give the, the ladies something to do. Uh, the women's ministry is integral to our ministry. I often say that the women's ministry is the softer side of Westminster. The ladies uh, on the women's ministry council are serving the church. They're not simply just serving the ladies in the church. Let me get really specific. I had a lady tell me one time as she was leaving this congregation, and she was leaving, part of her reason was that we would not let her network the computers. And that was kind of surprising to me. Uh, We had never advertised the need to network the computers because we have David Devine, who is the head of the department for Hillsborough County in networking computers, and he's been doing it, and we've... He's done such a great job. We've never really thought, well, maybe we should ask somebody else. Um, And so um, she was mistaken in thinking that we would not allow her to touch the computers because she was not a male. Uh, April Jones. I didn't expect April to be here today. Um, And uh, she is our bookkeeper, our treasurer. And she is great with numbers. She is a great bookkeeper. Even though uh, Derek Jeter has hired her husband away to go be the front office manager for uh, the Miami Marlins, and she has gone with him, uh, she's still being our treasurer. I didn't expect her to be here today. So, um, anyway, I'm happy that uh, Adam has had such a, such a wonderful job to go be the, the manager of the, the office for the uh, Marlins. I'd be happier if he had gotten called to do that for the Braves, <laughs> being an Atlanta Braves fan. Um, so we have April, who is our treasurer. When I arrived, Gail Kelly was the choir director here at our church. Louise McLaughlin is the uh, Meals on Wheels director. Anita Gillespie is our Westminster Academy director. Rose Devine is our office administrator. I did not hire her because she is a woman. I hired her because she is good. And I can say that uh, with her not being here uh, to puff her up. Since she's not here. I tell Rose from time to time, I appreciate your neurosis. (laughs) Because anytime she has something to do, she can't let it go until it's done. And so I say that in good humor. Women serve on our committees. Women serve alongside men. Our uh, denominational book of church order suggests that the deacons select godly men and women to assist the deacons in our work. We actually had uh, asked one of the ladies to assist the deacons, and she turned us down. She said, I'm so busy that the deacons would only slow me down. And uh, that was a great answer. But uh, Paul gives us, he gives reasons for this authority structure in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13 is very, very straightforward. In other words, this is the way that God intended Verse 13, uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. 
The roles of men and women are founded upon God-given distinctions between males and females. Nothing is said in this verse about the superiority of men. Nowhere in Scripture is this idea advanced. It is simply the God-given authority structure. Now, there's typically much confusion regarding his second reason in verse 14. It says, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Um, This is a tough verse. Many Christians, I believe, have wrongly concluded that men should preach because women can't be trusted. I read several commentators who said that women had a greater aptitude to be led astray. John MacArthur said, Eve showed by the fact that she was deceived that she was unable to lead. She met her match in Satan. Martin Luther said, It was not Adam who went astray, therefore there was greater wisdom than in the woman. Yeah, I disagree with these. I think there's a a better understanding, a, a different and better understanding of this passage. Because this passage is say uh, this understanding that I just read from MacArthur and from uh, Luther is essentially saying that women cannot be trusted, but men can. What was the problem in the Ephesian church? There were men teaching bad doctrine. You can trace out church history and you don't find too many female heretics. Mary Baker Eddy maybe stands out. Otherwise, there's a whole bunch of men. And so I don't think this is what Paul is saying. In fact, I'll be bold enough to say I think this view should be rejected out of hand. Rather, without going into a detailed exegesis of passage because of time, I believe Paul is saying that the woman was deceived and ate. Adam, who also ate, was not said to be deceived. I think Paul is... is uh, is, is ruminating on Genesis 3 at this point. He knew full... Adam knew full well what he was doing when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was deceived. Adam deliberately chose to sin. Um, George Knight, uh, one of my professors that taught me Greek and Uh, has this view. Philip Ryken also has this view. He notes Adam's willful disobedience hardly recommends him for pastoral ministry. God held Adam principally responsible for the fall. So we find Paul saying that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Shouldn't it be that death reigned from Eve to Moses? She sinned first. But Paul overlooks Eve. Why is she overlooked? Because Adam is the head. Adam was our chosen representative. Paul's point is that we must not ignore God's pattern. His ordained authority structures. Adam was the head. He shirked his responsibility to lead back in Genesis chapter 3. And we have been crying and we have been dying ever since. Paul is saying to the elders, I believe, in verse 14... That they must lead. And he's saying to the women. That they should joyfully follow. In the teaching of their leaders. 
Finally, the encouragement in verse 15. Paul says, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, there are too many interpretations of this first list. Here's what I believe this passage means uh, in exegetical shorthand. Paul is, say, is, Paul is aware of what uh, this teaching might sound like to the ladies. So he wanted to show them how dignified and how beautiful is their position in the church. There's a very curious definite article in verse 15. Literally it says, the childbearing. And the childbearing is singular. Not the, not many childbearings, but the childbearing. And I believe because Paul is ruminating, thinking, meditating on Genesis chapter 3, that the childbearing, he has one childbearing in particular in mind. It's clear to me that he is talking about the childbearing spoken of in Genesis chapter 3.15, where God said to Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words... The childbearing that Paul has in mind is Mary's giving birth to the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. Women, all humanity have been saved by Him who was born into this world to be our Savior. Ladies, far from Paul trying to treat you as second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, you are honored It is my joy as the pastor of this church to honor you. It was through a woman that our Savior arrived in this world. And I trust that you will always be finding the men of Westminster Presbyterian Church to be honoring you. Westminster has always had strong women. I've heard the stories of Catherine Vargo and the other ladies that uh, were some of the original... Uh, members of this church and their strength helped the men also to lead this congregation strongly. Uh, this, This congregation is strong in the Lord, strong in the Word because of men and women who have honored the Lord, who have honored His authority structures, who have blossomed as they have served the Lord together. And then finally, Paul says, but don't get focused on yourself. Ladies, you're important, you're to be honored. But we get our honor from our Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Him. He says, yet she will be saved. She, singular. I think covering all uh, the female uh, gender who looks to the Lord Jesus Christ. She will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Look to your Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him. Don't let the world get you sidetracked, whether in the home or in the church. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that He submitted Himself to the cross that we might have life and be clothed with the dignity, even though we're fallen creatures, clothed with the dignity 
that comes with us being God's dearly loved children. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you thanking you for uh, the authority structures in the church. Lord, help us to be faithful as we carry out these authority structures. Help us to, um, to bloom and blossom as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Uh, Father, I'm reminded of that uh, passage in uh, or Ephesians 4 where it talks about each part uh, working um, and doing its part in love. God, we are, are many members. We have different roles, different tasks. But together, in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of His Spirit, we are able to shine like stars um, as we display the grace and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray in His name. Amen.